0: the pastor is not a whole sermon series. Hopefully there's not that many questions, Um, but that'll just be our end of year uh, message that Chris and I will do together. And uh, I think we've already got in the bulletin and in the newsletter coming out this week, we've got uh, numbers to text or email your questions to. So we're looking forward to that. That's always a lot of fun on December 29th. And then we will have our sermon series starting, um, Sermons from Spotify in January. So, uh, so yes, it, it'll, be, it'll be fun like that. So we are on week four of our Advent series, His Name is Jesus, and every day, if you've been signed up, you've been getting a different name and a beautiful image of what, of what the names of Jesus are about. So we're on Sunday number four, that's, we're in the left-hand corner there, um, looking, overlooking a, the, an open Bible, and today, of course, the message has to do with that. Um, But first, I want to make a suggestion about the Word of God and Jesus as the Word. And that is that on Christmas, this has been, uh, we've done this intermittently in our family, sometimes with more success, depending on how alluring they thought the toys were going to be, that they would be opening up. Um, But a recommendation to help your family learn the the Christmas message in a context-appropriate urgent way that, that ties into what's happening right in front of them and, and their adrenaline's up. You know, you remember things when your adrenaline's up. And so um, Luke 2, uh, we're recommending that you read that with your children Christmas Eve, particularly after it's dark, right? Because that's the, that's the passage of, of the angels appearing to the shepherds that Chris just referenced. Matthew 2, um, the, the passage where the wise men find out, or, or it's about Joseph and Mary and then the wise men coming. So we recommend that be in either day or night on Christmas Day or Eve. But then on Christmas Day night, after the the Christmas festivities, for most of us, have kind of drawn to a close, and there's maybe wrapping paper, depending on how assiduous you are about cleaning, or maybe there's broken toys and there's kids crying upstairs because of it, who knows. Um, We recommend you read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 and verse 14, or all the way 1 through 14. This has been an, uh, an amazing way to teach our children God's word. Now, do they all remember it or groan when we read it? Um, sometimes, no and yes. Um, but I'd recommend this as something that's been a blessing when it's worked uh, for, our, for our family to do that. And, and now, uh, hold on, I think I can do it, Chris. Boom, somehow it just like went to Am- Amazon i like doing a little last-minute Christmas shopping. Minutes, so. <laughs> oh, all right, we're going to have to work on that. All right, I mean, by we, I mean, I'm going to have to work on that, and I promise I'll buy you a lunch if you take me out and show me how to do this better. All right, so today the message is, his name is the word. Now, first of all, I want you to ask, um, I want to challenge you to do something that might feel a little bit awkward because, you know, you kind of know the people nearby you but not totally um, so I'm going to ask you, unless you're like a super interior introvert, I'm going to ask you to just step out on a limb here and, and do something with me. But I'm I'm going to do it with you first. And that is, I want to talk. I want you to think about nicknames or words that you called your kids. Okay. And in just a moment, <laughs> I I heard a I heard a stifled. Oh my gosh, the from Chuck. Before we do that, I want to tell you uh, some of the ones that, uh, that, that I tended to use when our kids were growing up. So this is a picture of Jeremy and Eli out in Colorado where, where my mom, who's here by the way, hi mom, um, where she and my dad used to live. And um, so Eli, I would tend to call by this name that I, he never seemed fond of after he got older, but it, he, you know, he couldn't protest when he was little. And I would call him Eli Badili. Does anybody remember a book similar to that name? Yeah. When I was growing up, my mom read me Amelia Bedelia. And so when he found that connection, that was the case, then he immediately said, don't call me that anymore. Uh-huh. But um, you can see what a cutie Jeremy was looking after his brother and, and um, just being a gallant younger man. Um, so I had this little rhyme for him. I said, Jeremy, Jeremy, all the girls say marry me. And so that didn't go over long, well, long either. But again, I want you to think about nicknames or words that you called your kids. And then there's the other things, the, the, the kind of the funnier things or the, the memorable things that your kids said, right? So um, my mom is uh, living with us now. She's recovering from her hip surgery. We came, so I saw my mom before she came last Tuesday, um, we were all down in Florida for her and my uncle's 80th birthday. I think I uh, shared that with you, um, but I want to show a picture of my mom and her sister. Um, if they were wearing the same dress, they're often confused as, as twins. And so the first time, so my our son Jeremy, of course knew knew my mom Holly, but when Janet came, her sister came for the first time. Now. He had been in the family for several years, Jeremy, right? We adopted him as, as an infant. When he saw Janet for the first time, he's like, one nana, two nanas. <laughs> he couldn't tell them apart. Um, so that's, that's, a, that's a funny story that we remember. And then if you know Eli, if you've seen him either at work on break, I think he works really works when he's not on break, or here at church, He's listening to what you're saying because he'll sometimes say something snarky, but probably he's also watching a YouTube video of a video game. Um, he's got autism and takes comfort in you know, just playing and watching video games. So when he was younger, and we would, and Laura especially, would ask him to try new things like um, I don't know mashed sweet potatoes and carrots, you know, whatever kid would want to try, and he would he would turn his nose away and say, "No, I don't want that," um, and And Laura would say, well, just try it. Try it once, and then I won't bother you again. And he said, I've already tried it. And she's like, when? And he said, in high Eli land. And we have no idea where that came from. Even as a teenager, as an older teenager, he can't remember where that came from. We have a sneaking sneaking suspicion it came from a Super Mario game, Um, but everything was... I can't do that. I tried that once in High Eli Land, and it didn't go well. So um, so those are some things that our kids have said. I want you to find one group of people who's nearby, preferably somebody who doesn't know your story, and I kid you not, I'm going to give you like four minutes to share one or the other, a funny thing your kid said or a funny thing that you called them. I'm not kidding. It's 9.36. By 9.40, we're done. So go. Yes, there it is. Last week, Pastor Chris uh, introduced um, the, a, a beautiful Bible passage of genealogies with the introduction that he was about to share the most boring passage in the New Testament, uh, which was a, a great sermon, great, great sermon um, on the genealogies in Matthew. Um, but I have three passages I'm going to share with you in, therefore, much more abbreviated form that have to do with Jesus is the Word. And so the first one I want to start with is one that I would say kind of following Chris's lead that I want to share one of the most sublime passages in the New Testament. And that is about the Word of God. It comes from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. This is the one I recommend for Christmas Day night or at some point when there's a lull in the craziness on Christmas Day. And this is such an important one that I'm going to ask you, to practice, I'm going to say that I, I've changed the first line because it's the line that I grew up with, and I thought it was much more poetic. Right? That New Living Translation that we use says, "In the beginning, um, the word already was, or the word already existed." But that's that's the sense of it. But if you'd read with me this passage, these five verses from John, I think it would sink into your soul, and this would be a blessing for you. So let's read it together. If you can see it, if you can't, apologies. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought life to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So, John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. What I want to talk about is the word, word, obviously. And so like any deep biblical theologian, I Googled it. <laughs> and in Greek, of course, the word for word is logos, logos. Um, and so under the, uh, in, in Google under theology, this is the definition, which, which I think satisfies what a theologian would agree with. Logos, or word, the word of God or principle of divine reason and creative order identified in the Gospel of John with the second person of the Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Son, Jesus is number two. The second person of the Trinity incarnate in Jesus Christ. And then I want you to, the very bottom of that says Greek, the literal Greek definition is word or reason, Um, Early theologians used the word logic because logos and logic come from um, the same root. So I want to talk about this logos of God, this logic of God, and what was the logic behind sending Jesus? What was the the reason behind sending Jesus? And the beautiful thing that we just read there in John chapter 1 is it's talking about it. John is speaking of this, this revelation of Jesus was there from the beginning of time. And that Jesus' presence at the beginning of time will make it make a lot more sense. Oh, I'm trying to do it your way. Beginning of time will make it make a lot more sense that he's also there at the end of time. And in fact, what John does, John connects Jesus back to creation and connects him ahead to the future judgment. Because it it says that you, I'll give you the, the exact words, The darkness can never extinguish it. The darkness, the evil in the world, can never extinguish the good that God's light brought to the world. The good in the light that is Jesus Christ. So, number two. I want to tell you about one of the most foundational chapters in the Old Testament. Now, usually I don't call the Old Testament the Old Testament. I'm trying to get in the habit of saying a more a more welcoming term for our Jewish friends, and that's simply to say one of the foundational chapters in the Hebrew Scriptures, which is kind of, if, if, you're, if you're working with people from a different faith, you want to acknowledge, well, they are Hebrew Scriptures. That's their only Bible. And, and so we'll call it the Hebrew Scriptures. Anyway, but this seemed to work better for today. The foundational chapters in the Old Testament, and I'm speaking of two passages from the Genesis 1, which is a, a church liturgy, church, a temple or, or um, synagogue liturgy that would teach the people not how God created heaven and earth. That was never Genesis 1's purpose, right? But it would create them, it would teach them that God created heaven and earth. And that was especially, um, especially important when they were exiled in Babylon. If you're living in a pagan culture, and they're trying to take away or undermine, or not even trying to, but they just are so interesting and busy and exciting that your faith seems kind of simple and routine in comparison. You want your children, you want your family, you want your own heart to remember who your God is. That's one of the reasons we worship on Sundays. Some days the, some days the music's great and the sermon's great and you're like, holy cow! Some days one or the other's like, eh, we got on base, but <laughs> no real scores there. Um, we come to church we worship our Lord Jesus because we want to be anchored in a faithfulness to God that the culture, even if not intentionally, is trying to dilute or, or, have, a, or have slip away. For instance, um, there's a lot at Christmas, obviously, that's not about the birth of Christ, obviously. There's a lot at Easter that's not about the resurrection of Jesus. And so, so people who follow Jesus want to remember him, and we do that here in worship together. So I want to give you the, the two parts the beginning one through five, and the passage at the end that talks about the creation of humankind. So since I've got you warmed up <laughs> and ready to talk, let me, uh, let me ask you to do the same thing. We're going to read um, two paragraphs on this slide, and then we're going to skip to the end of the chapter and read two more on that. So if you would, if you're feeling up to it, um, you can always go get water or coffee if this is wearing you out. But let's, let's start together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day. So so you can already see the connections between the Gospel of John calling Jesus the light and here, the light is the first thing that God created. John's trying to remind us in this poetic form that Jesus was there at the beginning. Jesus is not some, some um, like rescue mission that they didn't plan from the beginning. Sometimes you've heard me say Jesus was God's plan B. Not in a derogatory way, but Jesus was, Jesus was the plan B that he knew he was going to have to implement because the plan A he knew was going to falter, which was that human beings would be obedient and trusting on their own. And we know that's, that's not the case. And God knew it too. He was not surprised by the fall of Adam and Eve, right? So God was, Jesus was the go-to and he was there from the beginning. He'll be there at the end. So, um, and then he, mix, he mixes light and the word, word. He made, he said the word and there was light. So then the, we're gonna skip to the end of Genesis 1. We're gonna talk, about us now, right? Everybody likes talking about themselves. Witness, right? The four minutes we spent talking about ourselves and our kids. Um, w- witness me every sermon, talking a little bit about myself, my family, or something. Um, so I want us to read this. I, I did. I did make one note because uh, it's it's scholastically interesting. When when God speaks in this in this passage, let us make human beings. The word for human beings is Hadam. Sound familiar, right? So. If we just said it in Hebrew, be let us make Adam in our image to be like us, they will reign. You're like, what's the they? Chadam is the Hebrew word for human beings. It's also the word for the human being when he created them him, when he has the story of creating Adam specifically in Genesis 2. So I just want to give you a little bit of Hebrew lesson there, but let's get on with the with the reading. So if you'd read with me together these these final verses in the book of Genesis chapter 1. Then God said. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. And this is what happened. Then God looked over all that he had made and saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. So to, to see that God's word God creation started, but the culmination of creation was the sixth day because we know that on the seventh day, God did what? Rest. He rested. That's, that's our paradigm for the Sabbath. But Genesis 1 tells us that God made us human beings as a key part of all creation. And frankly, the passage, not, not every day had a, God saw that it was good, but three of them did. God saw that it was good. And on this day, the last day, God didn't say it was good. He said it was very good. God was happy he made us. And in some ways, that's, that's important to remember as Christmas comes closer, right? God was happy he made us. He was heartbroken that we walked away from him. And he's eager to call us back because we are the day he made us on the day he said very good. And he wants a very good, very close relationship with you and me. And that's, of course, why he sent Jesus Christ. He sent this baby Jesus to grow up, to be like us, to speak our language, our languages. He grew up doing all this so that we would know him, trust him, we would learn from him. It's always easier if a teacher is from your culture. Jesus lived in their culture. He didn't just give them a, a 10 commandments or, or the 11 through 100 commandments from the sky. He came and he lived and he taught among us. Because God wanted us to trust Jesus. And then he wanted us to follow him so we could grow as a follower and a learner and a friend of Jesus. And then he wanted us to be so in love with Jesus that when he was taken from the world, we would bless the world that he came to save. Right? That's that's our vision as a church, right? Trust, grow, bless. So anyway, God was happy that he made us. And that makes me feel pretty darn good. If, you, if your kids come down the stairs at Christmas morning and, and they see the presents that Santa has left and they just beam from ear to ear, you've got this feeling in your heart, I think, similar to what God had when he made us. And my guess is each child coming down the stairs or around the corner or wherever, wherever that interaction happens, my guess is that none of those children in your mental picture are perfect. Right, I, mean, I know from my mental picture that's not been the case. But the beauty, is that, beauty of it is you don't care because your love for them is so deep. You look at them from the day they were born to through most days <laughs> in between, and you look at them and you say, this is very good. And if you don't have children, but you have, you have nephews or nieces, if, if, you, if you were a child... <laughs> You know what it likes? You know what it's like to be loved and to be called good, to be called a blessing, to be sacrificed for sometimes if you're lucky to be waited on for a short amount of days while you're pretending to be sick. All those things. All those things give us an idea of how joyful God was when he created us and why he was happy that he did. So we've looked at we've looked at John chapter 1, this kind of big picture of what Jesus came for. Then we've looked back at Genesis 1 to prove to ourselves, to, to prove, to, to see the evidence of what, that what John said is true, that Jesus was there at the beginning of creation. And then I, I was going to go that way, but I forgot I have to go this way. So, so then, now we're going to see Revelation. In the book of Revelation, the revelation to John, we're going to look at chapter 19 because in that, we're going to find another reference to Jesus as the word of God. So, I'm going to introduce this by saying one of the many images of Jesus, and you can tell there's many images because you've been watching and reading and praying about the images and the words for Jesus, but one of the many images of Jesus in the New Testament does come from Revelation 19, 11 through 13. Now, this isn't exactly the kind that you need to read. It's not one of these memorable passages that you're going to like, oh, we should say that at our wedding. But just in case, to keep the kind of pattern going here, um... Let's just say this together, okay? Nothing's gross. This isn't one of the gross passages, but you see what I mean. There we go. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. This is not one of the like, best of Revelation verses. If you really want to either scare the children or make a theological point, this is not usually the one you pick. But it does speak. It does speak to the consistency of Jesus Christ from the beginning of time to the end of time being called the word of God, the spoken breath of God, the logic of God, and the reason think about that. In the Greek sense, the reason for God. God doesn't need a reason. He's God. He can exist and have no reason. He can just be a slacker, right? I mean, I'm God. I just own everything. I'm here since the beginning of time, whatever. But that's what God is not. God has a reason. And the reason that God is, is because he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to be in relationship He was in a relationship with the Son and the Holy Spirit. We call that the Trinity. But you know, if you live a life with people who are perfect, there's really not a lot of fun, right? I don't know, is anybody married to a perfect person? Raise your hands. Okay. (laughs) But in real life, probably, probably not, life's more interesting if you're married to a real person instead of just a perfect one. And I think God thought the same thing. So anyway, this tells us, Something else about the word of God, it tells us that that God's word in Jesus Christ is is meant to be listened to, and it's meant to be our standard. Now again, I'm not talking about every, every word in the book of Leviticus, I'm not talking about every word in the Hebrew scriptures, although those are, as Martin Luther said, those are the straw that holds the Christ child. But the word of God, the principle of God, the reason of God was that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And as part of dwelling among us, he has blood on his robe. He was crucified and at Good Friday. He was, he was raised from the dead on Easter. All of this is part of the story of God. And here it says, the writer, in this metaphor, Jesus, he judges fairly. right? And he wages a righteous work. There is a judgment at the end of time. But the judgment isn't a checklist of, well, let's see, I saw you breaking that commandment and then there was that commandment. I don't think you ever repented for that. Ooh, it's not looking good, Dan. Judgment is not a checklist. It's not one of those kind of comedic uh, uh, situations where it where pulls out a file cabinet and like looks at all your bad stuff. No, the judgment of God is, do you trust me? Because if you trust me to be your parent, then of course you're my child. If you don't trust me to be your parent, are are you really my child? Some of you know with, with a lot of pain in your life that that hasn't always proved true, right? You have children that you love beyond belief, but for some reason it's come to be that they don't love you back, that they don't trust you. They don't trust that what you do for them is done in love. There was a season when that was the case, with those two cute kids on that rock in Colorado. I mean with with Jeremy that was the case. And I and I can imagine God's pain. He sees he sees people trying even those who love God trying to earn his love. He's like, "Oh, I you know, I kind of appreciate that, but that's not really the point. I don't need you to earn my love." I can just see God in heaven saying, "All right, I appreciate the effort. I thanks <laughs> thanks for the offering." But what I just want you to know is that you're my beloved. You're my child. You belong to me. And even though I'm disappointed in where you are right now, I'm disappointed in those things you've done, or I'm even really darn angry at that evil behavior that you keep falling back on. My heart is full because I love you. And I want you to trust that more than anything. I know there's people in here, I know there was a time in my life when I just, it was impossible for Laura and me to get, see the active active verb there, to get Jeremy to trust that we loved him. And it wasn't until God worked in his heart and we developed a little better sense of boundaries and what (laughs) let him stand or fall on his own that he really learned his own lessons and then came back to us and saw the love that had been there from the first place. That doesn't happen with every family. But I want you to see that the purpose here in Jesus getting his robe full of blood, the purpose in Jesus coming to judge is not to say, you're in, you're out, although that's, that, that is quite possible and Scripture says likely that that will in some cases happen. The reason of God for coming at Christmas isn't to judge, but it's to save from judgment. It's to encourage us so deeply to trust him that we trust that whatever judgment we get from him is going to be a judgment that came from a heart of love. And that judgment is never separation. That judgment is is never for our ill, but only for our good. So even even though we see the word of God referenced as a word in creation and a word of judgment. It's important to think about that. If you've you've looked through the lectionary readings, the the revised common lectionary that Catholics and liturgical churches use, there's a lot of of passages that talk about the judgment of God and, and why that's so necessary. But there's a reason for that. The logos of Advent, the logic of Advent is simply this. If you know what you're saved from, you'll treasure your savior more. If you come to the barn on Christmas and you're excited about the Christmas carols, you're excited about lighting, lighting a battery-operated candle, totally fire safe, um, and singing Silent Night and and having the the straw and the warmth and the cool barn, the lights, the uplighting is really cool. It's a beautiful barn. Um, And all you can think about is how lucky you are that you have this family or how lucky you are that you get to be worshiping this God, then then you're most of the way there, but you're not all the way. The all the way there comes when you realize, I could be somewhere else. I could be far from God. My heart could be still cold like it was before I surrendered to God. My heart could still be bitter like it sometimes is when I don't let God. And it could be angry or it could be shamed. I could feel so unworthy of things that I can't even believe that God would love me. Or it could be racked with guilt, I can't believe that I did this to my family. I can't believe this that I that I did this to my company. You'd be so racked with so many things and then to know, yeah, you did. Yeah, you are. Yeah, that's you. But God loves you anyway. God has saved you specifically after that, the logic of Advent is if you know what you're saved from, you'll treasure your Savior even more. So as we close, I'm going to challenge you to think about what's the word? What's the word on your heart now? Is Advent is coming to an end, and what will the word be? What will the word be on Christmas Eve? When you read it to your family, when you have your kids read it to you, whatever that, however that looks And what will the word be when Christmas Day evening has come and for most of us, a lot of the hullabaloo and the holiness has kind of gone down to to regular speed? What's the word on your heart? What's the word that God wants you to, to hear? What word is God saying to you this Advent? My guess is one of them that you will know, is that this is my beloved. The word the Father said to the Son is the word that the Son says to you. This is my beloved. You are my beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the blessing and gift it is to be your, your beloved, your children. The ones you died for, Lord, the ones you came for, the ones you have tried and, and sometimes been able to teach Lord we love you we thank you for your patience with us we thank you for your grace to us and we thank you for the joy that you give us we thank you Lord for the, for the privilege of celebrating your birth because Lord we thank you for the passion that you gave to us at your death Lord hear our prayer not just this Christmas not this Christmas Eve not this Christmas day not just on holy days but hear our prayer every day And may our words to you be vulnerable, transparent, and true. Because your word for us, Lord, that we cling to in our hearts, is grace. We love you, Lord Jesus. It is in your name that we pray. And all God's people said together, amen.